Hey, good morning, Center Church. Uh, my name is John. I get to serve as the pastor here. And honestly, I'm really thankful that you're here. Now, it's funny to say here because you're either watching us on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, maybe you're listening to the podcast later on. But I am really thankful that you're here because in this very unique and challenging season, these times are almost more important than they were before it because they're forming us. And it's really interesting because over the last couple of weeks as we've been in quarantine and watching the news and just kind of following all the updates, I've been thinking a lot about the first Sunday we're going to gather again physically. In fact, if I can be honest, I really miss it. I miss people like you. I miss people like your family. I miss even some of the new faces who have joined us online, but I haven't got to meet you yet. I, I just miss that gathering. And what's interesting as I think about what that first Sunday is like is how much I look forward to the service itself. I love the prep. I love setting up. I love getting ready. But I love the buzz and excitement right before 10 o'clock. I love the new faces. I love getting to high five and hug some of you. I love getting to just that feeling and excitement right before the service starts. But here's what's also true about me. I'm shocked by how much of my own spiritual life is wrapped up in that hour. Too much, I think. In, in fact, as I'm wrestling through this pandemic, just like all of you are, I'm surprised by how difficult just regular spiritual disciplines like prayer and scripture reading actually have been. It's kind of surprising to me. And I bet that you've noticed that gap in your own life, maybe not on a drastic scale, but there's probably a gap between where you'd like to be spiritually and where you find yourself during this crisis. So if all the places are gone of where we normally worship, if an elementary school gym is no longer available to us as a church, how do we keep growing? How do you keep moving as a disciple? How do I deepen my faith as a disciple when the place is gone? When the place is literally locked up, I can't go there and there's no one else there. That's an interesting question because Jesus actually leads his disciples through this question. He forces them to think about their relationship with God differently, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue in this journey in Mark, and I'd invite you to turn with me either on a device or with your actual physical Bible to Mark 11. And in Mark 11, starting in verse 12, here's what Mark writes about this story continuing on. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Now, there's a good chance you've already eaten breakfast, but maybe you're a brunch person and you're hungry right now. You know the feeling when your stomach's rumbling, you need to satisfy it. And Jesus is just like us in that. He, he was hungry. But seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Now, again, think first century Israel. Think the Mediterranean area. Think, think uh, agricultural society. If you were walking along the road and you were traveling to, from city to city like Jesus and his group were, from Bethany back to Jerusalem, there's no Speedway, there's no Meyer, there's no Chick-fil-A, there's no options for you other than kind of what you had along the road. And so he sees a fig tree, goes to find if it has any fruit. Well, look what happens when he finds it. Mark writes, when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves like a hollow shell of what this tree was supposed to be because it was not the season for figs. Why would Jesus look for fruit off a fig tree that he knew was not in season? It's because he's trying to make a point. So, something's coming. So he says to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. 
it's like chill out jesus like what why are you so angry about this but again he's he's thinking of something greater he's thinking about something bigger and his disciples hear him say this i can imagine if you're a disciple you're probably sitting there trying to understand why is jesus so mad at this fig tree what what did it ever do to him but he curses the fig tree and then he moves on his disciples hear him say it and then the next verse says that on reaching jerusalem jesus entered the temple courts I remember the temple is a place where God's presence dwelled. It was where his presence was housed, essentially. It's where his glory was. It's where your prayers were effective. It's where worship really happened. It's where your gifts made a difference. Worship was the, uh, the temple, rather, was the place. And Jesus goes to that place in Jerusalem. He enters the temple courts and he begins driving out those who are buying and selling there. Other gospel accounts say, he made up this whip of rope and started whipping these tables and benches over into a fury. I mean, this is a really odd scene. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise throughout the temple courts. Now, again, as we read this, it's hard to understand because we don't typically do a lot of business during our church services. But this is the kind of stuff that was taking place here in the temple. And it wasn't even that merchandise and selling doves for sacrifices and, and doing currency exchange for pilgrims who were traveling in Jerusalem was bad. In fact, there was precedent throughout the scriptures of this. It was that they had started to miss the point. See, the temple was about a relationship with God first and foremost. It wasn't about the right materials for the building. It wasn't about how the priest did their duty that day. It wasn't about how the, the worship leader led the worship songs. It wasn't about how much you had given or what kind of animal you had sacrificed. It was actually about God's presence. It was about God's people encountering God's presence. But the people of Israel and the Jewish leaders had started to miss that. And Jesus wants to set it right. So he teaches them. He says, is it not written, my house, this temple, the place where my presence is, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Did you catch that? Prayer. Not merchandise, not currency exchange, not doves. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Everybody's welcome in this house. He says, but you've made it a den of robbers. A den of thieves, some translations say. You've made it about an economy, this this place where you can hoard your wealth and, and make a buck off of me. You're missing the fact that the temple is about my presence. It's about communing with me. Jesus uses that fig tree metaphor to point out what was happening in the temple. Th this religion, this, this worship place, this church had become a shell of what it was supposed, supposed to be. Now, I'll be honest, as I'm sitting here thinking about fig trees, I love fig newtons. <laughs> Actually, I grew up as a kid eating Fig Newtons. Now, I know there's some of you right now who are like, yeah, I love Fig Newtons raspberry. No, there's only one kind of Fig Newton, and it's original. And uh, I definitely got these as an object for this teaching, but I'm also really excited to eat them later. I'm not going to lie. This is going to make a great dessert for my dinner. Now, you have to let me know in the comments before we keep going. Do you, do you like Fig Newtons? Are you a fan? If you are, just comment below. Let us know if you're a Fig Newton person. But Fig Newtons are really just a hollow shell of what an actual delicious, fresh fig tastes like. And that's true of any fruit. You can get a dried orange piece 
which is okay. Or you can have a real orange fresh off the tree from Florida. There's a big difference. And Jesus is saying that the religion, this, this temple had just become a shell of what it was supposed to be. There was no longer life in it. But here's what's true. Even in the midst of this virus, Jesus wants to move disciples, people like you and me, from being place-centered to being prayer-centered. From having to have the right environment and perfect conditions for worship to all we need is a chance to pray and be alone with God, to commune with Him. And that's a huge shift because for these disciples who were hearing it, for all of them, the question they were asking and Mark is asking us as listeners and as readers of the gospel is how can you worship without a temple, without a place? How do you do that? But Jesus foresees, and that's why he talks about, he quotes Isaiah, this passage on being a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus foresees that eventually the temple will be replaced, but not with a better building, not with nicer stuff, not with a new and improved facility, but by a praying community, but by a group of people who decide that the most important thing is not having the perfect environment to worship God, but, but actually praying, actually spending time with their Father in heaven. Prayer is something God has been teaching me about over the last couple of weeks. When we're in quarantine and there's no place to go on Sunday morning, it's been areas of prayer that God has been developing me and helping me to grow. And a real simple definition, see, I used to think about prayers just asking God for things. And maybe you thought about it, or maybe you think about it now, and that's certainly an element of prayer. But the more I've understood about prayer, and the more I seek the scriptures on prayer, the more I learn that prayer is simple. Prayer is setting a, a time aside to meet with God and showing up. Prayer is setting aside space and margin in your day to just sit down and be quiet before the Lord. Sure, bring your request. Sure, bring what you're boldly asking. We should do that. And even as a church, every Wednesday night, we gather to pray bold prayers. But more than that, it's a place where you can experience God's presence for yourself. Not just in a place, but through prayer. And this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Because even Jews, good Jews, believe that prayer is only effective inside the temple. Your prayers outside the temple were, were ritual. They were okay, but they weren't nearly as effective. And Jesus is saying, actually, it's the other way around. That, that your faith can be place, doesn't need to be place-centered. It actually needs to be prayer-centered. But is this how you and I think about our spiritual lives? I mean, let's be honest. I've heard and understood that if I'm a good dad, then God will spend time with me and allow me to meet with him. If I give enough to the church, if I pick the right church and the right preacher and all the environment and the conditions are right, then God will want to meet with me and spend time with me and, and meet with him. Some of you think if as long as I drink a lot but don't get drunk, then it's okay. God will spend time with me then. And all of these things have to do with exactly what was going on in the temple. They're all transactions. There's no relationship or life to them. And Jesus is saying, when, when you think about your faith as being place-centered, those things, all those boxes have to be checked. But if you think about being prayer-centered, where you're setting aside time to meet with me, you're depending on me, you're growing in this communion and this conversation with me, life can be different. Life doesn't have the same 
the same boundaries it does. Your life in Christ can be so much bigger that way. This did not please the people who were hearing it though. And you can imagine Jesus is disrupting what's happening in the temple. And so the very next verse, it's on your screen. You can read along with me. That the chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. They, they couldn't believe that Jesus was moving the center of his presence from being in a place to being a prayer community. They couldn't wrap their minds around this. So later on next morning, in the morning as they went along, Jesus and his disciples, they see that same fig tree withered from the roots. I mean, all the way down dead. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, God, the fig tree you cursed has withered, which is why Peter is literally Captain Obvious in all of the gospel stories. The tree you curse has withered. Yeah, of course it is. But Mark is sandwiching the temple story with these two fig stories, again, to point to a greater truth. Jesus was moving his kingdom and his presence from being play-centered to being prayer-centered, to living in the hearts of people who seek after God. This is a massive shift. So you think after that all happens that, that Jesus would say, yeah, they miss it in the temple. You, you see this fig tree metaphor playing out. You don't want to be this, okay? You want to be something much greater. And so Jesus would likely give a, a teaching on how to construct a perfect worship service, how to pick the right songs, how to make sure your series are attractive, how to make sure that you don't pressure people into doing things they don't want to do, except that's actually not what he says next. What Jesus says next is this, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, when you honor God, when you pay attention to him in prayer, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. Right here is really interesting because what's happening is Jesus is continually moving the place of worship from being into a place to being prayer centered. And what's really interesting is I've read verses just like that. I've read verses like what Jesus says, and I think about, okay, mountains, okay, that's a big obstacle. And even in Jewish literature, ancient Jewish te texts would talk about, if you have enough faith, you can literally move mountains. Jesus is saying that, but he's also playing off the whole idea of place because the temple was located on a mountain. The temple where Jesus had overturned the system, where he had flipped the religious tables, where he'd said, Jewish nationalism, no more, making a dollar off God's presence, no more. When he, he changed all of that, it was on a mountain. And Jesus is saying, just like I did that, when you pray, it doesn't have to be about the mountain. It doesn't have to be about the location. It can be about a relationship with me. You don't have to have it all together to start the journey of prayer and communion with God. You don't have to have all the answers in order to do that. It, it would kind of be like this. So, uh, I've been married a little over six years. My wife, Lindsay, is incredible. You saw her. She's hosting this service. Uh, I love her, 
Now, quarantine is probably testing her love for me, but I really love her and I'm thankful that she is an incredible chef, that she loves me, that she likes the shows I like, like we get to run together. All those things have been great. But just picture as a pastor, if I said to you, I love Lindsay so much when we go out to dinner, when we go on runs together, but when we're at home, not so much. Again, picture if I said that to you, you would feel concerned about the quality of my marriage, right? You'd be concerned about, does John actually love his wife he's been together with for six years or not? But when we say that about a relationship with God, it, that I, I love God on Sunday morning, I love him in that hour. It's so easy to worship. I just don't love him as much during the week. Or maybe better put, I don't really know how to love him during the week. I'm not really sure. Prayer is the opportunity to love God through your week. Prayer is the avenue. It's the venue. It's the place. It's the real place in which you can have a life with God, where you can receive the peace that you need, where you can receive the hope that you need, where you can experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that we all need. And that's the kind of relationship God, He wants to let you experience His love in prayer. He wants you to love Him back through prayer. And actually, before we keep going, the spirit of love, I want to take 30 seconds. And in those 30 seconds, I want you to turn to somebody who's in the room with you, maybe at the table, on the couch, in the big chair. And I want you to just say, I love you to them. Now, maybe you don't like them right now, but <laughs> try this out. I love you. If you don't have anybody you're watching with, maybe type it in the comments below. Or if you want to text somebody or call someone real quick, leave a voicemail. Just tell them you love them. 30 seconds starts right now. Now, that may be one of the most spiritual things you've done all quarantine. <laughs> Just let somebody know you love them. But that's what prayer is. Prayer is setting a time and meeting with God, showing up with Him. And it's allowing him to move your faith from being place-centered to prayer-centered, that personal relationship that he invited even his disciples here in this story into. Prayer was one of those things that as I grew up, I was kind of confused about, honestly. I wasn't sure how it worked, and I didn't really ever feel like I had enough to ask for when it came to prayer. That all started to shift uh, my sophomore year in college. I got the opportunity to go on a missions trip to Beijing, China. As probably you're guessing, or as a maybe follower of world events, you know, Christianity is not welcomed in China. In fact, it's oppressed. Christians are regularly tortured, harassed, imprisoned for their faith. Pastors thrown in jail for no reason. This is the environment in Beijing, China for Christians, for people like you and me. We were there, and one of the things I was most excited about, because I'd read about this as a little kid growing up, who Grandparents had done missions work. My parents had done some missions work. And I was really excited to, to go to a place like China, which was just like, wow, it's so difficult there, but God is moving. And so we had the opportunity to go to a house church. Well, the night before, uh, our guide comes up and says, hey, unfortunately, because of government pressure, we can't allow just a bunch of foreigners to come and check out this house church. They meet in like the 23rd floor in this apartment room. They rent it out. It's too small a space. We just, we can't risk it. And so our team leader said, well, who really wants to go? <laughs> My hand was first. I want to go. I want to experience this. And so we go with our guide, me and another friend. We go 
and I've never felt so weird going to church before because we were constantly looking over our shoulder to see if we were being followed. We finally get to this apartment building. We enter the keypad. We go up to the 23rd floor. We keep looking over our shoulder. I mean, I, I was fearful for my life. I had no idea it was going to happen. We go into this church service, sit down, and people begin pulling out these plastic chairs from closets that previously are hidden during the week. But the church together pitches in to pay for the, the rent of this apartment so their church can meet there. This isn't a house. This is in a space probably about as big as the room you're sitting in right now. And they gather and they begin to sing, but not singing like we do, like, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Like we're all out, the band is going, 100 plus decibels. No, they sing in whispered tones. These songs of worship, people are weeping. Women are on their knees. Kids are singing, but in hushed tones, they're whispering because they can't sing too loud or else they'll get busted. This is the environment they're in. And we started to talk to some of the people later on through translator. What, what sustains us? Because you can't be out there. You can't share your faith. You can't share on Facebook what God is doing in your church or share the live stream like you probably have done. You can't do any of that. And they said it, it's through prayer. It's people praying all during the week. And this is just kind of the culmination of that. Church, if I'm honest, that's my hope for us in quarantine, that you and I would come out of this time a praying community. And that, that marked me because I sat there and listened in these plastic yard chairs, just overwhelmed with what was going on. And it wasn't because the service was incredible. I literally could not understand one word. This is because of the realization that these people had prayed. And out of the overflow of that, God was moving. And what Jesus says here about having faith, about being prayer-centered, it's the only way you really can forgive people. It's the only way that you can bless people. It's the only way that you can see what God is up to in the world. I mean, without prayer, you miss all of it. Without Him, that, that is impossible to attain. And so I want to give you another 30 seconds here in just a moment. And I want you to reflect on this question. Is your faith place-centered or prayer-centered? If you had to give an honest assessment of your life and do kind of a spiritual inventory, you don't need to share it with the people in the room with you. I just want you to think about that question. Is your faith place-centered or prayer-centered? Let's take 30 seconds and reflect on that together. As you've reflected over those last 30 seconds, I, I hope that God is already starting to stir in you. I hope that you sense what he wants for you. And really, I wanna give you a challenge. As we close, and I wanna take a, a moment to pray over you and just over us as a church, I wanna give you a challenge. I wanna give you a challenge to have at least five screenless mornings this week. Here's what I mean. For all of us, if you have a device and you're probably watching it on said device or it's right next to you, for all of us, our screen time has probably gone way up and to the right. I mean, all the people that make our phones are enthralled by this quarantine because every digital company in the world is seeing their sales go up. But what if instead of engaging screens right away, what if instead of watching news or scrolling Facebook or texting our friend back, what if we decide to give God the very first part of our day? Now again, there's nothing magical about rolling out of bed and just 
praying or reading the Bible right away. Uh, in fact, a rhythm for me is getting ready for the day, getting my breakfast ready, sitting down, and then spending some time in God's Word and prayer. It's not the very first thing I do. But I want to encourage you to have five screenless mornings. And here's what I mean. Before you touch a screen, pray. Before you touch a screen or scroll through something or check all your notifications, read your Bible. Do something really, really simple that will allow your faith to be prayer-centered. Allow your faith to be rooted in communion with God. Because friends, can I just be honest with you? That's what we need. That's what we need. A spirit of prayer. Praying for the end of COVID-19, yes. Praying for our governor instead of criticizing her, yes. Praying for the people in our lives who we have broken relationships with now that, that are really difficult to mend when you can't be face-to-face. -face. Pray for those, yes. Pray for God to move through our church, yes. Pray for God to, to give you peace and strength and hope, yes. But more than that, pray just to be with God, to have an encounter, to set aside time to meet with Him and showing up to that. Five screenless mornings. I'm gonna do the challenge with you because this is something that has started to change my life. And I wanna lead us in this, even this morning. Now it's ironic because you're watching on a screen and I totally understand that. But I wanna lead you in praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you're a parent, the, the words are going to be on the screen. Again, we're going to take 30 seconds to give you space right now to pray that. But if you're a parent, I want to encourage you, have your kids read this with you. If you have your spouse next to you, pray that with, their, with your spouse. If you're alone or have a roommate, pray it out loud together. This is a great model. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. And if you don't know how to start in prayer or become a prayer-centered person, this is the way to do it. So let's take 30 seconds and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Friends, as you pray that, I want you just to remember Mark's words in Mark 11. You don't have to be a shell of what your life could be. You don't have to just experience a relationship with God that feels hollow and empty because there's no place to put that time in. But you can have fruit that's real and lasting. And prayer, centering your life in prayer is what changes everything. So I would invite you, can I pray for you? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, you invite us to spend time with you and to trust you, to lean on you and to depend on you. And so God, we pray the burdens of our life right now, the things that we're carrying, maybe friends and family who have been affected or infected, by COVID-19, Jesus, we pray, and we just surrender them to you with open hands. We need you to carry all that for us. We thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the power of the empty tomb that gives us resurrection hope. And so, God, I pray that you today, as we embark on some screenless mornings, as we experiment in prayer, as we practice spending time with you, our ask is that you would meet us as we set aside time to meet with you, that you would draw close to us. We hold on to that. Help us to seek you well this week as a church to live out the mission of seeing zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.